Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 166. Today's big Bible questions. What is the mark of the beast, and what does 666 mean? Well, hello, friends. I can't believe it's yet another Friday. We're heading into the weekend again. Man, time has been flying by lately. Now, I want to assure you that this has not become the daily End Times Bible Prophecy Last Days podcast of eschatological insights. I know we've talked about End Times Revelation topics a lot lately, but that'll settle down shortly as we move out of the book of Revelation. One of the reasons why we've discussed this topic so much is that I might be writing a book at some point soon on the book of Revelation and the end times, but honestly, a bigger reason is that this is just among my top four personal favorite topics to preach and teach and read about, as I've mentioned before. Now, I know pastors and preachers shouldn't have favorites, but I do feel like maybe it's okay or appropriate to have favorite topics or verses or chapters or books of the Bible. Maybe. I hope so. If you're curious, here is my top four. Number one is the resurrection. Nothing else really comes close to me. I love to preach about how our Savior and Lord Jesus overcame death and promises the same to his followers. I specifically like to preach and teach about reasons to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That's been very important in my own spiritual experience, and I think it's also uh, a profound building block for sharing the gospel. second thing I really like to preach on is spiritual gifts. Uh I believe the Holy Spirit has not merely equipped the pastor and the worship leader or one or two gifted people in the church to lead, but the whole church is gifted and empowered with these amazing gifts of the Spirit. When I became a writer, uh, I don't know, about three years and eight books ago, it was with the express intention of actually writing a book on spiritual gifts, but that book hasn't been written yet, even though others have. So hopefully one day. My ultimate goal is to write a like really long book on spiritual gifts. Well, my number three favorite topic to preach about is, you guessed it, the second coming, last days, the end times. Partially because it's such a fascinating topic to discuss and most everybody is interested in the last days, but mainly because the return of Jesus just re- inspires so much hope. Finally, I guess for the last one, I don't know. It's kind of tricky. Uh, sometimes it's prayer. Sometimes it's talking about the body of Christ in scripture, the church, but probably my fourth favorite topic to preach on is the first and second commandment. Uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That might should be number one on my list, but it's definitely in the top floor. And the long and short of it is that I'll probably focus on one of the above four topics whenever we encounter them in our daily Bible reading, and we have encountered a lot of last day's material in the last couple of weeks. I'm also on Sunday mornings preaching through Revelation for our church, some of whom listen to this pod, but our focus there has thus far been much more on the letters of Jesus in the first few chapters of Revelation, and those really aren't focused on eschatological or last days stuff. So hopefully they aren't too overstuffed on the last days if you're a church member. Now, when I was a kid, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, something in that range, I remember watching the music video for DeGarmo and Key's epic, is epic the right word? I don't know. Epic 80s song 666, which is all about the mark of the beast and the number of the beast. At the time, when I was a young teenager watching it, it was chilling and a spooky video. But now, eh, 
Not so much. Now, I've posted the video on our site, BibleReadingPodcast.com, so you got to come check it out. At least it'll give you a chuckle. But if you don't go look, it, uh, the video begins with a guy at his computer, and man, is it an old school computer. An evil agent has apparently left a five and a quarter inch floppy disk at his computer with the number 666 on it. Now, many of you listening to the podcast right now are like, what is a floppy disk? Five and a quarter inches? What does that mean? Well, some of you are old enough to know what a disk is, and you're thinking of a small, hard, plastic square thing. Well, that was a a thing, a three and a half inch disk, and it could hold, uh, what, 1.44 megabytes of information. But before those discs, there was a floppy disk, which could bend and was really thin, and it was a little bit uh, bigger, but not thicker. And that's what everybody used for their computers. And so if you want to know what I'm talking about, just go look at the video. And our hero in the video, who is a bit of a thickhead, gets this floppy disk with the number 666 on it and loads it into his computer. And oh boy, bad things start to happen then. Uh, And this is not a wise move. And as you listen to the song, it tells a pretty... uh, ridiculous story. And I'm not going to read all the lyrics, but here's how the story goes. The singer is restless one night and he decides to go for a walk. He runs into a stranger as he's walking. And uh, in the video, he's walking down city streets with like prostitutes and criminals and all this kind of stuff hanging out. And you're like, dude, what are you doing uh, walking out late at night and uh, running into the Antichrist while you're walking? Well, anyway, he's walking. He meets a stranger and For hours, he talks to this stranger, and the stranger says, hey, I've been waiting for this moment all my life. And I said, and the the hero of the song says, "Uh, explain what you mean. And he just smiles and says, six, six, six. And then he says, things are going to get better. Tonight's the new age eve. I can change the weather. I can do all these signs and wonders. And this guy says, uh, well, what do you mean you can do signs and wonders and all that? And the guy just says, six, six, six. And so The person singing the song all of a sudden realizes he's in trouble. He asks Jesus to save him from this man of sin. And in the video, (laughs) there's these two cops wearing uh, the kind of polished mirrored shades that was popular back in the 80s. And this man, who the video is about, tries to run away from the uh, supposed Antichrist, I guess. He doesn't look very scary at all. And these two cops shove him back in, so he has to stay with the Antichrist. And then he breaks a window and runs the other way and ultimately gets away. But oh my gosh, the next morning when he wakes up and he thinks, oh, maybe last night was all a dream. He goes to his address book and you might be like, wait, what's an address book? Believe it or not, my young friends, we used to write down the names and addresses and phone numbers of people we wanted to contact in a papery thing we called a book. We didn't just keep these in portable computers we carry around with us. Anyway, he looks in his address book and all of a sudden, all of his names and numbers and everything written in his address book is 666. And the song ends in a bad way and he feels sick and you're left with this chilling, horrifying feeling or whatever. But yeah, it's not that scary now. It's really kind of ridiculous. And I guess this is how we viewed Revelation in the 80s. It Hopefully, we're a little more sophisticated now. Now, uh, no, I'm not bagging on DeGarmo and Key. You know, we're all a product of 80s if we lived back then. But is that how the Bible presents the mark of the beast in 666? 
Well, let's read and find out. But you know what? I'm going to go ahead and spoil it for you and take the suspense out of it. No, it's not even remotely how the Bible presents this issue. So let's go to Revelation chapter 14, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Then I looked, and there was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him were 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I heard a sound from heaven like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder. The sound I heard was like harpists playing on their harps. They sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders, but no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who have not defiled themselves with women since they remained virgins. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were redeemed from humanity as the firstfruits for God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying high overhead with the eternal gospel to announce to the inhabitants of the earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people. He spoke with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship the one who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And another, a second angel following, followed saying, It has fallen. Babylon the great has fallen. She made all the nations drink the wine of her sexual immorality, which brings wrath. And another, a third angel, followed them and spoke with a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured full strength into the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever." There is no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast and its image or anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for endurance from the saints who keep God's commands and their faith in Jesus. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so they will rest from their labor since their works follow them. Then I looked, and there was a white cloud, and one like the Son of Man was seated on the cloud with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Another angel came out of the temple, crying out in a loud voice to the one who was seated on the cloud, Use your sickle and reap, for the time to reap has come, since the harvest of the earth is ripe. So the one seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Then another angel, who also had a sharp sickle, came out of the temple in heaven. Yet another angel, who had authority over fire, came from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Use your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of grapes from the vineyard of the earth, because its grapes have ripened. So the angel swung the sickle at the earth and gathered the grapes from the vineyard of the earth, and he threw them into the great wine press of God's wrath. Then the press was trampled outside the city, and blood flowed out of the press up to the horses' bridles for about 180 miles. Gracious. So as we're going through the book of Revelation, I think we're learning more and more, though things are still quite a bit cloudy. A couple of big points of clarification we need to make. Probably should have said this yesterday, but it's okay since this is a two-part episode. Number one, as we alluded to yesterday in episode, uh, I guess, 164, four or five, I don't know, I forget. But anyway, yesterday, sometimes the beast in Revelation seems to indicate a kingdom or like a conglomeration of countries. And then sometimes, especially in the later references in Revelation, including Revelation 14 today, the beast appears to be an individual. If we can combine those two things, 
then it's likely that the beast is an individual that comes out of a kingdom or a group of countries that is closely associated with the leadership of the beast in the same way that, say, I don't know, a football program might be closely associated with a coach or a company closely associated with its owner. Now, that's speculation, of course, but I think it's a possible solution to come of the verbiage of Revelation. All right, number two thing to keep in mind. The beast of Revelation is very likely the same individual as the Antichrist of the epistles of 1 John and 2 John. The term Antichrist only occurs in the epistles of John. The term the beast only occurs in Revelation and to a lesser extent in the Old Testament book of Daniel. Daniel seems to refer to the beast of Revelation as the little horn coming out of a beast in Daniel 7. To further complicate things, it would appear that the, quote, man of lawlessness spoken of by Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2 is the same as the beast, the Antichrist, and the little horn. Now, you might be hearing that and thinking, well, this is so confusing, but it's not terribly abnormal from a biblical perspective. Satan is called several different names, the adversary, slanderer, etc. So you can see that sort of thing manifesting in very important people. They have various ways of referring to them. Now, I'm well aware that Revelation shows us two beasts, at least, and the other passages seem to focus on one Antichrist. Now, I believe that this issue will be much clearer as we see it unfold, but I suspect that one of the beasts of Revelation will be the Antichrist, man of lawlessness, and the other will simply be a prominent and powerful figure that somehow opposes God. Well, what about the mark of the beast? Well, before we discuss that, let's give our first and foremost attention to the mark of God. Revelation 7 tells us about it. Verse 2, Then I saw another angel rising up from the east who had the seal of the living God. He cried out in a loud voice to the four angels who were allowed to harm the earth and sea, Don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we seal the servants of our God on their foreheads. So it's very likely that Revelation 7 itself is hearkening back to Old Testament again, Ezekiel, in which he sees God send out a group to bring vengeance on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all who don't have the mark of God on their foreheads. And I'm going to read that passage, but I'll pause for a minute just to tell you this. There may not be another book in the entire New Testament that calls back on the Old Testament as much as Revelation does. Revelation has so many connections to so many various and different places in the Old Testament that it's almost mind-boggling. One of these we see here, Ezekiel 9, 3, and 4, which says, Then the glory of the God of Israel rose from above the cherub where it had been to the threshold of the temple. He called to the man clothed in linen and carrying writing equipment. Pass through the city of Jerusalem, the Lord said to him, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the detestable practices committed in it. So this seal or mark of God is protective. It prevents those who are sealed from being harmed by the punishment that God is sending on the world during Revelation. And, of course, during the what's happening in Ezekiel, when God is releasing judgment on the city, the people that sigh and groan, the ones who are sad about all of the sin in the city of God, they are the ones that God says, protect those, protect those people that are mourning about the sin all around them. Well, this situation obviously itself looks back to the blood on the posts of the doors during the Exodus. 
The sealing of God on the foreheads is reminiscent of the sealing of God for protective purposes of the blood over the lentils, the frames of the doors in Exodus during the Passover, which that itself looks forward to the shed blood of Jesus covering his people and their hearts and protecting us from deserved divine judgment. Well, maybe now you can see why biblical prophecy is a bit, oh, I don't know, complicated, thick, deep. So there is also, of course, the seal of the beast, the mark of the beast, and this is spoken of in Revelation 13 and 14. So in Revelation 13, we read yesterday, verse 16 says, it makes everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast because it is the number of a person. Its number is 666. And of course, we get to Revelation 14, verse 9 today. Another, a third angel, followed them and spoke with a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he will drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured full strength into the cup of his anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb. So, bad news. Don't get the mark of the beast. And over the years, over the centuries, really, Many, many lines of ink have been spilled talking about this mark of the beast. There are so many theories about it, ranging ranging from the mildly plausible to just the patently absurd. I actually recall in the 80s that many were convinced that UPC codes, which are the barcodes found on things you buy at the store, were the mark of the beast. Others thought it was social security numbers. Others believe it will be like an injectable chip or something along those lines. Well, the Greek word there is charagma. And it means a stamp or a mark. It comes from a word that means trench. So it very likely contains some kind of connotation of digging or engraving or etching. Now, there's one other place outside of Revelation where this word is used, and that is Acts 17.29, which says, Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. So the word there, keragma, is formed, or it's graven in the King James Version, and it would seem to indicate something drawn or carved or made. So I suppose an implantable chip, possibly with a circuit board with circuits you know, engraved on its board, could qualify there, but you know, that probably is a slight stretch. So what is the mark of the beast? And the answer is, of course, we don't know. And once again, I am very skeptical of those who claim to know exactly what it is because we're not given enough information to know. Now that said, we are given enough information to know the the mark of the beast beyond a shadow of a doubt when we see it. I believe it will be very, very clear and not something that you can be really duped into getting like some sort of Oh, I don't know, coronavirus vaccine that that uh, the beast sneakily gets you to inject or something like that. I don't think it's going to be something that's given to people by deceit. The passage seems to indicate that the mark of the beast will be received with a conscious submission to it and not ignorantly. Well, here's what we know for sure. Number one, the mark will be on the right hand or on the forehead. 
Number two, the mark will be economic in some ways. Maybe there will be a financial system set up where you can't buy or sell without the mark. As such, I kind of keep up with anti-fraud technology because that's one possible way we can get to a mark of the beast. I could see a leader or government or whatever attempting to make currency obsolete, maybe because of counterfeiting, who knows, somehow and requiring some sort of unique ID or payment method be somehow encoded or engraved or put into every person individually. In other words, you know, maybe identity theft becomes this huge, massive, terrible thing. And then every, the, the solution by the beast or by his government is to have everybody have a unique engraved identifier on their hand or on their forehead. Then they buy things with that. It sounds really, really convenient, but it's really, really terrifying. Number three, the mark will somehow, some way tie back into the beast, antichrist, man of lawlessness, and perhaps the kingdom or country or group of countries that individual is leading. We don't know exactly how it's going to tie back into him, but somehow it sounds like his name is going to be uh, encoded or engraved or associated with that mark. Finally, number four. This is pretty important. Some people will probably disagree with me on this, but I think it's just uh, almost doubtlessly true. Even if we see the mark coming, we will not be able to prevent it. God has ordained these events, and they aren't written down in the Bible for us to try and stop them. We've got no command to fight against the implementation of these technologies. So, I don't know, do so if you feel led, I guess. But the point of this passage is very simple. Do not get the mark of the beast. The point is not fight against every possible technological innovation that could be the mark. We're not commanded to do that. We're just told to not get the mark. Friends, it's coming. God's word will come to pass. Will it be a thousand years from now, a thousand days from now, a thousand hours from now? I don't know. But I don't think protesting and picketing and demonstrating will cause the beast to think, oh, you know what? Maybe this is a bad idea. I won't do it. But no, God's word is going to happen. It's going to be fulfilled. So bottom line, don't get a chip or a mark or a tattoo or an engraving or an implant or whatever on your wrist or arm or forehead that has anything to do with buying and selling. I think we'll probably be safe if, you know, we don't do that. One more thing to discuss. The Enigmatic 666. So what's that all about? Well, as you might imagine, Christians over the years have also discussed this issue extensively and fiercely debated its meaning. Many believe that John intended the number to be used in a way as a code, and this many use uh, something called gematria, which is kind of a way of assigning a number to letter- letters and fashioning a sort of code. Uh, they use gematria to uh, as a way of interpreting 666. Now, the problems with this approach are legion, because John never tells us exactly how 666 is the number of the name of the Antichrist and never tells us what code he might be using or whatever. And Christians have thus guessed for over a thousand years what he was thinking. Even back in the 200s AD, we have figures like Bishop Hippolytus discussing this issue. And he said, oh, actually, George Ladd talking about Hippolytus said this, One of the first Christians to give us a treatise on the Antichrist is Hippolytus, a bishop of Rome during the first decades of the 200s AD. Hippolytus applies the fourth beast of Daniel to the Roman Empire, then ruling the world, and interprets the ten toes of the image in Daniel 2, 
of ten kings who would rise out of the Roman Empire. This is also symbolized by the ten horns of the fourth beast. The horn which will root up three horns is Antichrist. He is to destroy the kings of Egypt, Libya, and Ethiopia, after which he will rule the world and persecute the saints. Hippolytus tentatively suggests that the mark of the beast 666 may mean Latinus, but he is uncertain. He says, wherefore, we ought neither to give it out as if this were certainly his name, nor again ignore the fact that he might not be otherwise designated. But having the mystery of God in our heart, we ought to in fear to keep faithfully what has been told us by the blessed prophets in order that when these things come to pass, we may be prepared for them and not be deceived. Well, allow me to give you an example of one of these attempts to come up with a solid meaning for 666. This one is from Primasius, who was a North African bishop of the church who lived in the 500s AD, so like, you know, 1500 years ago. This is what Primasius says. This calls for wisdom. Whoever has understanding, let him reckon the number of the beast, for the number of the beast, it says, is that of a man. Let us reckon the number that it is to be received, so that in the number we might also learn the name and the mark. And the number, it says, is 666, which we will reckon according to the Greek, especially since he was writing to Asia and said, according to the matter of their own language, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Having already described as much as he could the fraudulence of the adversarial party by which the devil attempts to usurp for himself the honor to honor of deity that he does not merit, so that he might exhibit the Antichrist, who is the opposite to divine honor, he instructs us to investigate the character of the beast, whether by the mark or by the number of his name, that is, of the will and the work of that most wicked beast. The name is Antimize, which, if you will compute the letters and that correspond to these Greek letters, fulfills the number 666. I plus L plus CCC plus V plus XL plus LXX plus CC. This name is interpreted as contrary to honor, quote, and so he is said to be contrary to that honor that belongs to God alone. And for this reason, he is said to be inept, insolent, and inconstant, for no honor pertains to him, but only anathema. And so, through the number, a name is found, and from the, num- the name, a number is computed, and from the interpretation of this name, the character of his works is learned. There is another name that gives the sum of the same number, and that might rightfully be advanced, and that is apnoimi, which also renders 666, I plus C plus L plus LXX plus CCCC plus XL plus V. The interpretation of this is, quote, I deny, and it is not surprising that the Antichrist is worthy of this name, that is, of denial, since the name of belief is proper to Christ, and he, as he himself indicated, this is the work of God that you believe in whom he has sent. And also, you believe in God, believe also in me. And so, one would speak of antimos, that is, contrary to honor, or apnoime, which is, I deny. Either can aptly refer to the Antichrist, so that is thought, through two parts of speech, that of the name and that of the word itself, both the character of the person and the severity of his work is suggested. Okay, deep breath. That was hard to read and harder to follow. But but our friend Prometheus is doing what Christians have done before him and after him for years and years. He's trying to calculate a name from uh, numbers assigned 
to Greek letters, and he's coming up with those names. Now, those aren't individual names of people. Uh, those are characteristics. Now, people have done the same thing Primarius did, but applied it to individual names of people. For instance, Hippolytus came up with Latinus that way, or this or that pope, or how about former leader of the USSR, Mikhail Gorbachev, or how about Ronald Wilson Reagan, or Hitler, and many others were said to be the Antichrist. Of course, Barack Obama is on that list, and Donald Trump too. They were said to be the Antichrist based on somehow, some way, making their name match up to 666. The thing about all that is, my friends, depending on what code you use, there can be literally thousands of different names that can somehow, some way, add up to 666. I think the Holy Spirit, as the ultimate author of the Bible, had full knowledge of this fact. And I believe when the Antichrist beast comes onto the scene, then it will be much, much clearer how the number 666 relates to him. We won't be confused then. I, In saying this, I actually wholeheartedly agree with Andrew of Caesarea, who is another bishop from the 500s, who wrote a commentary on Revelation. Yes, 1,500 years ago, Andrew said this, For the sober-minded, time and experience will reveal the actual significance of the number 666 and the truth of whatever has been written about it. For, for were it necessary, as some of the teachers say, that such a name be clearly known, the seer would have revealed it. But the divine grace did not consent that the name of the destroyer be noted in the divine book. And to that, I'm like, good job, Andrew, you brilliant, wise dude. If only we had listened to you for the last 1,500 years, we might not have so many books like 88 Reasons Why Christ is Coming Back in 1988 and ridiculous assertions about Ronald Reagan or Gorbachev or Obama or whoever being the Antichrist because their name can somehow be smashed numerically into 666. It's silliness. When the Antichrist rises, I'm 100% sure that it'll be very clear how 666 relates to that name, and the Bible will be giving us important clues if we're paying attention. But between now and then, I think it's almost irresponsible just to try to make everybody's name sort of line up codedly into 666 and be like, aha, it's Joseph Stalin. He's the 666 we're warned about. Well, I guess I got on my soapbox a little bit there. Let's all calm down. Let's take another deep breath and let's read Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 1. Do not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or sheep with a defect or any serious flaw, for that is detestable to the Lord your God. If a man or woman among you in one of your towns that the Lord your God will give you is discovered doing evil in the sight of the Lord your God and violating his covenant and has gone to serve other gods by bowing in worship to the sun, moon, or all the stars in the sky, which I have forbidden, and if you are told or hear about it, then investigate it thoroughly. If the report turns out to be true that the detestable act has been done in Israel, you are to bring out to your city gates that man or woman who has done this evil thing and stone them to death. The one condemned to die is to be executed on the testimony of two or three witnesses. No one is to be executed on the testimony of a single witness. The witnesses' hands are to be the first in putting him to death, and after that the hands of all the people. You must purge the evil from among you. If a case is too difficult for you concerning bloodshed, lawsuits, or assaults, cases disputed at your city gates, then go up to the place the Lord your God chooses. 
You are to go to the Levitical priests and to the judge who presides at that time. Ask, and they will give you a verdict in the case. You must abide by the verdict they give you at the place the Lord chooses. Be careful to do exactly as they instruct you. You must abide by the instruction they give you and the verdict they announce to you. Do not turn to the right or the left from the decision they declare to you. The person who acts arrogantly, refusing to listen either to either the priest or the judge, uh, either to the priest who stands there serving the Lord your God or to the judge, must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. Then all the people will hear about it, be afraid, and no longer behave arrogantly. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, take possession of it, live in it, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations around me. You are to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. Appoint a king from your brothers. You are not to set a foreigner over you or one who is not of your people. However, he must not acquire many horses for himself or send the people back to Egypt to acquire many horses. For the Lord has told you, you are never to go back that way again. He must not acquire many wives for himself so that his heart won't go astray. He must not acquire very large amounts of silver and gold for himself. When he is seated on his royal throne, he is to write a copy of this instruction for himself on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It is to remain with him, and he is to read from it all the days of his life so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to observe all the words of this instruction, and to do these statutes. Then his heart will not be exalted above his countrymen. He will not turn from this command to the right or to the left, and he and his sons will continue reigning many years in Israel. Psalm 104. My soul, bless the Lord. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with majesty and splendor. He wraps himself in light as if it were a robe, spreading out the sky like a canopy, laying the beams of his palace on the waters above making the clouds of his chariot, walking on the winds of wings of the wind, and making the wind his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He established the earth on its foundations. It will never be shaken. You covered it with the deep as if it were a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke the water fled. At the sound of your thunder they hurried away. Mountains rose and valleys sank to the place you established for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. They will never cover the earth again. He causes the springs to gush into the valleys. They flow between the mountains. They supply water for every wild beast. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky live beside the springs. They make their voices heard among the foliage. He waters the mountains from his palace. The earth is satisfied by the fruit of your labor. He causes grass to grow for the livestock and provides crops for man to cultivate, producing food from the earth, wine that makes human hearts glad, making his face shine with oil and bread that sustains human hearts. The trees of the Lord flourish, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests, storks make their homes in the pine trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats, the cliffs are a refuge for hyraxes. He made the moon mark the festivals, the sun knows when to set. You bring darkness and it becomes night. When all the forest animals stir, the young lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises, they go back and lie down in their dens. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until evening. How countless are your works, Lord. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, vast and wide, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships move about, and Leviathan, which you formed to play there. All of them wait for you to give them their food at the right time. When you give it to them, they gather it. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. 
When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. When you send your breath, they are created, and you renew the surface of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He looks at the earth and it trembles. He touches the mountains and they pour out smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God while I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him. I will rejoice in the Lord. May sinners vanish from the earth and wicked people be no more. My soul bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Isaiah 44 verse 1. And now listen, Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen. This is the word of the Lord, your maker, the one who formed you from the womb. He will help you. Do not fear, Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. They will sprout among the grass like poplars by the flowing streams. This one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will use the name of Jacob. Still another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and take on the name of Israel. This is what the Lord, the King of Israel, and its Redeemer, the Lord of armies, says, I am the first and I am the last. There is no God but me. Who, like me, can announce the future? Let him say so and make a case before me, since I have established an ancient people. Let these gods declare the coming things and what will take place. Do not be startled or afraid. Have I not told you and declared it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God but me? There is no other rock. I do not know any. All who make idols are nothing, and what they treasure benefits no one. Their witnesses do not see or know anything, so they will be put to shame. Who makes a god or casts a metal image that benefits no one? Look, all its worshippers will be put to shame. And the craftsmen are humans. They all assemble and stand. They all will be startled and put to shame. The iron worker labors over the coal, shapes the idol with hammers, and works it with his strong arm. Also, he grows hungry and his strength fails. He doesn't drink water and is faint. The woodworker stretches out a measuring line. He outlines it with a stylus. He shapes it with chisels and outlines it with a compass. He makes it according to a human form, like a beautiful person to dwell in a temple. He cuts down cedars for his use or takes... A cypress or an oak, he lets it grow strong among the trees of the forest. He plants a laurel, and the rain makes it grow. A person can use it for fuel. He takes some of it and warms himself. Also, he kindles a fire and bakes bread. He even makes it into a god and worships it. He makes an idol from it and bows down to it. He burns half of it in a fire, and he roasts meat on that half. He eats the roast and is satisfied. He warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I see the blaze. He makes a god or his idol with the rest of it. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it, Save me, for you are my god. Such people do not comprehend and cannot understand. For he has shut their eyes so they cannot see, and their minds so they cannot understand. No one comes to his senses. No one has the perception or insight to say, I burned half of it in the fire. I also baked bread on its coals. I roasted meat and ate. Should I make something detestable with the rest of it? Should I bow down to a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. His deceived mind has led him astray, and he cannot rescue himself or say, Isn't there a lie in my right hand? Remember these things, Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you. You are my servant. Israel, you will never be forgotten by me. I have swept away your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. 
Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Rejoice, heavens, for the Lord has acted. Shout, depths of the earth. Break out into singing mountains, forest, and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and glorifies himself through Israel. This is what the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb, says. I am the Lord who made everything, who stretched out the heavens by myself, who alone spread out the earth, who destroys the omens of the false prophets and makes fools of diviners, who confounds the wise and makes their knowledge foolishness, who confirms the message of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers, who says to Jerusalem, she will be inhabited, and to the cities of Judah, they will be rebuilt, and I will restore her ruins, who says to the depths of the sea, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers, who says to Cyrus, my shepherd, he will fulfill all my pleasure, and says to Jerusalem, she will be rebuilt, and of the temple, its foundations will be laid. Well, well, that was a powerful passage. Uh, Gracious. I I don't know if you notice, uh, noticed uh, Isaiah 44, verse 5, which said, uh, this one will say, I am the Lord's. Another will use the name of Jacob. Still another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and take on the name of Israel. That's interesting. So that's a person sealing themselves on the hand with a mark of the Lord. Uh, I think very much in uh, opposition, I suppose, to the mark of the beast. So that's pretty fascinating. I'm not sure that Robert Murray McShane intended for us to read all that about the mark on the same day, but there you go. There it is. An interesting connection. Well, friends, it's been a longer podcast than usual. Thank you for hanging there in there with us. Tomorrow probably is not going to be on the last days, but you know what? I can't guarantee it. We'll see. May the Lord lead us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine on you and his hand to do good towards you. May he protect you and go with you in Jesus' name. Good day and Godspeed.